If you're sick of the mainstream sports outlets, well, so was I. So I started my own show. I'm Shane Larson, and this is the Game Time Guru. It's different than other talk shows. I'm providing a panoramic view on sports so you can see them through a different lens. So buckle up and let's go. What's up, everybody? So this week, we're going to be talking about college football. We're going to elaborate on the Ohio State Buckeyes, and we're going to talk about the Brett McMurphy situation that you know transpired earlier before the season started and kind of how that had an impact. To do so, though, I brought on an amazing guest. He's from Columbus, Ohio. His name's Kyle Lamb, and he's a journalist out there who hosts his own podcast. He's covered uh, the Buckeyes for quite some time, so he's got a lot of information to share with all of us. And I just think it's it's a good timing for this interview because of the fact that the college football playoff rankings came out. We can finally recap the college football season, and we've got a good professional journalist to help us out with it. So. Before we get started, though, I just wanted to remind you guys to follow me on all my platforms, right? So if you're listening to the show, wherever it may be, just remember, you can subscribe to my show. Make sure you go over to iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Google Podcasts, uh, CastBox, uh, Podcast Addict, whatever whatever platform you want to listen from, go there and, and subscribe to the show. Also, you'll hear in this podcast that um, you'll hear me reference the fact that we were on video. I'm going to try to do as many Facebook live interviews as I possibly can. So Kyle joined me for a Facebook live. So you can follow my Facebook page. Just make sure to go to Facebook and type in the game time guru, three separate words. You can find me, Uh, go like the page so you can follow. And if you want to watch the interviews live, um, you can do so there. Um, So anyways, we're going to be expanding the show. I've got merchandise that I'm going to be bringing out. Uh, Some people have already gotten my sweatshirt. So if you're interested in getting a hoodie, uh, or anything like that for the Game Time Guru to show your support, let me know. Um, and we'll be, uh, com- we're going to continue to grow the show with all the merchandise and everything that goes along with it. So, without further ado, though, I'd like to bring on the guest. We're going to show you this interview that we just did. So, here's the interview with Kyle Lamb. Again, he is from. Uh, Ohio. He's from Columbus, Ohio, covering the Buckeyes. And I actually, I love Kyle because I found him on Twitter. Make sure you go and check him out with the link below. Um, but I found him on Twitter. He, the way he covered the entire Urban Meyer, Brett McMurphy thing that happened earlier in the season uh, was phenomenal. So I gained a ton of respect for him and I'm just grateful that he joined me on my show. Hope you guys enjoy it and uh, share this with all your friends and family. So enjoy it. What's going on, everybody? Welcome out to another episode of the Game Time Guru podcast. You might see here that I'm on video here. Um, I'm bringing on a guest today and I'll introduce him in just a second, but I'm going to explain why I'm doing this as a video. Uh, I took a poll here on Facebook just a couple of weeks ago. I asked you guys, all the listeners, I said, hey, what do you prefer? Do you prefer video or audio or both? And I got some mixed reviews. A lot of people preferred video. A lot of people preferred audio. So I'm going to go with both. I'm going to test this out. So it is an experiment. I'm testing this out, throwing this up on Facebook. So if you want to watch the, the actual footage of the interview, Go on to Facebook right here, share it with your friends and family. Obviously, you can find me on iTunes, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, CastBox, any other platform. Tune in, iHeartRadio, every platform. You know where to find me. Go check it out. Uh, subscribe to the show and share that with your friends and family as well if you just want to listen to the audio version. So, guys, uh, today I'm bringing on an awesome guest all the way from Columbus, Ohio. His name is Kyle Lamb. So, Kyle, thanks so much for joining us today on the Game Time Guru podcast. Yeah, Shane, I appreciate you uh, having me on. It uh, should be a lot of fun. Yeah, it's going to be exciting today. We got some good good topics. And even if you guys aren't Ohio State fans, you guys know the ones here in Boise and the, that know me locally, they, they know that I'm, gonna, I'm a Buckeye fan. They get annoyed by it because I talk about it all the time. Um, and everybody here is Boise State Bronco fans, but I'm a Buckeye fan. I'm um, also a Boise State fan, but they know I like the Buckeyes. We're going to talk a little bit about Ohio State football, but we're also going to be talking about college football in general. Now, 
Kyle, you bring quite a bit of uh, broadcasting experience. Can you give us a brief rundown of your experience in the sports world? And, and this will kind of explain to the listeners why I brought you on. Yeah, man. I, uh, I started in high school and that was so long ago. I'm getting old, man. Um, <laughs> it, uh, they say you're as old as you feel, but sometimes I'm not sure that's true. Uh, so I, I, you know, back in high school when I, when I went in early on, I wanted to go into meteorology and, and somebody then kind of alerted me to the fact, Hey, you got to be really good at math to do that. So, uh, that kind of deterred me from going that route. And so I'm like, you know, broadcasting is the next closest thing I can still be on television or in the radio or whatever. And, I always say I don't have a, a face for TV, so I, I went the radio route. But I went into uh, broadcasting uh, at a place called Ohio Media School. It was Ohio Center for Broadcasting back then in Cleveland. And spent a couple years in radio and then uh, got into some writing. I was a freelance writer covering Ohio State football. And then I moved to Georgia, covered Georgia, Georgia Tech. And then the last couple of years, I've been back in podcasting. And so now that's, uh, that's my main gig and following my, my original passion for broadcasting. I love it, man. Um, this is, it's super cool because you're doing something that I would love to do. And a lot of our sports fans around here would love to do this. And it's always cool to meet somebody like yourself who's actually following through with that, that you've, you've had some experience going through the ranks and, and, and now you're getting back into the podcasting thing, which is your, you know, your radio voice. And, and it's awesome to see. So I'm glad to have you on the show with me, Kyle. Uh, first thing I want to talk about um, is this college football season. Now we're getting into, you know, bowl season's just started, but we wrapped up a pretty a pretty exciting finish to the college football regular season. Um, and I want to specifically talk about Ohio state. And this is one of the things that frustrates me about this team. And it's been like this for a couple of years is the inconsistencies. Like, you know, the potential of the team um, and they just don't seem to actually, you know, meet that potential week after week, even though you, you know what the athletes are like, they're top athletes in the country, but sometimes they just don't execute the way that you're expecting them to. Uh, I want to know what your thoughts are. What's some of the good things that happened in the Ohio state season, some of the bad things. And, you know, how you think the the whole rate rankings came out with the CFP and where they where they fared there? Yeah, you know it's it's a tough call for Ohio State because you know you saw a little bit of uh, what they're capable of there at the end of the season with with their win against Michigan, where I mean they won by twenty three points and that was a game where I mean they could have probably won by forty if they you know didn't have that mistake there at the end of the first half with the kickoff and then you, you know. Other than the third quarter against Northwestern, I thought they played pretty well as well. I mean, they, they wound up winning by three touchdowns. And um, if not for that, you know, third quarter, and that was a game that could have been a blowout. But you also saw the inconsistency, you know, the overtime against Maryland and, you know, some of those games that they played prior, they just didn't look right. And it's weird because in 2016, you can point to Ohio State playing really well outside of the game against Iowa and, you know, a game or two here or there they played pretty well in the rest of the games this year they struggled for long stretches of time but then they kind of turned it off uh, turned it on at the end of the season and so it's it's really perplexing to see the inconsistency with this program given their talent level um you know as far as the college football playoff obviously people will say well they're not in the playoff because of the 29 point loss to purdue and it, when it boils down to it that's probably why i mean the committee didn't say that that was the reason but you could deduce that that was probably the case. I think the issue with the college football playoff is just not so much that they chose Oklahoma over Ohio State or, you know, Georgia was ahead in the rankings. I'm not sure that would have been the case had Ohio State uh, actually – had Oklahoma lost, I'm not sure Georgia would have finished ahead of Ohio State. But 
I think the biggest issue is more the process and the subjectivity with the rankings. I think that's what probably bothers Ohio State fans the most is not so much putting in Oklahoma over Ohio State as much as there's just no rhyme or reason to why they did it. You know, it's, it's such a frustrating thing. That's exactly what it is. And it's the inconsistencies of the committee. Year after year, it seems like the, the rules change. And, I mean, it's tough – it's it's just tough looking at it because they did they still kept Georgia there but people they see Georgia play this Alabama team at the end of the season they thought they're like well well Georgia was taking it to them and I agree I think Georgia's an amazing team however I think one of the analysts um, said out there they said hey well the two toughest games of the year though were LSU and Georgia or sorry LSU and Alabama Georgia lost those two games other than that their strength of schedule was extremely weak and they didn't win when it when it mattered most and Oklahoma was inconsistent as well the fact of the matter is is like I just can't see why Ohio State was finishing sixth I believe they should have been outside of the college football playoff I thought the four teams that were chosen were arguably you know arguably deserved it more but I do have a question do you think Ohio State should have been in there is, is there an argument about Notre Dame is that's where my question is coming Kyle should Notre Dame be in the top four and should Ohio State or Georgia have you had an opportunity to go there you know I, I'm fine with Notre Dame being in there because at the end of the day they won all their games and I don't like comparing records because schedules are not created equal but at the same time you know, look, Notre Dame took care of business, so I'm, I'm okay with them being in there. So I'm not going to say that they should be in there or Ohio State should be in there. You know, I'm not going to say Ohio State should be in over Notre Dame. But I will say this, you know, the committee supposedly puts an emphasis on who you beat, head-to-head games, strength of schedule, all of that. If you go by that metric, Ohio State, you know, finished ahead in strength of record despite the fact that they lost a game. They finished ahead in strength of schedule. And they had two head-to-head wins comparing Michigan and Northwestern to Notre Dame beating Michigan and Northwestern. And Ohio State won those two combined games by 27 more points than Notre Dame did. So if you look at the criteria the committee is supposedly looking at, then you could make a very good argument for Ohio State being in there over Notre Dame. Now, that being said, you know, as I said a minute ago, I'm okay with Notre Dame being in there because I, I like giving the benefit of the doubt to the fact they didn't lose a game. I don't think that should be the only factor, but I do think that they did enough to justify that. Okay. I respect that a lot. I actually really like that analysis. And, you know, like you said, though, it's whatever the committee says, it's one thing and they, you know, and then it seems like they go against it with everything else. And I think the main thing that frustrated Ohio state fans was the fact that it wasn't necessarily that we didn't get in. It was the fact that they put Georgia ahead of us, even though, you know, we won a conference championship and they, that's the reason they put Oklahoma in, da, 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 um, but then they put Georgia ahead of us. And I think it was just inconsistencies. The committee has these rules. Hopefully they'll, they'll find a way to make this more consistent. Now, my question to you, Kyle, would be, do you see an eight-team playoff being a more consistent way of putting teams in? Or do you see that causing even more problems? With, let, let's say like that argument that, this, that happened this year. They said, okay, well, if we do eight teams and we bring all these teams in, well, then the conference champions automatically get a bid. Well, that means we would have had a Washington team in this playoff. And then you have to have the battle for the, you know, the other two um, at-large bids, which you're still going to have people fighting over those. And then the group of five gets an automatic bid. This is what they're talking about. Do you see that being a more consistent method? Um, is it going to be a better method? Uh, is it going to downplay the other bowl games that are out there now? Completely I- make those irrelevant? What, what's the plan? Well, I absolutely think as far as selection criteria is concerned, it would be a more consistent approach. And I, I say that with the caveat, if they go to a system where they're taking 
assuming five conference champions. Um, now, you don't necessarily have to designate five power conference champions. You can just say the top five power, power top five champions, period. Okay. And I think by doing that, you allow a loophole for a UCF to get in there if they're one of the five best champions. But I do think that if they take the five champions, top five champions, I think that is a more consistent approach because then you're taking away some of the subjectivity from the committee and you still got three at-large spots remaining. But what you're doing is you're no longer trying to parse, well, you know, we have a conference champions as a, as a criteria in our selection. And we've seen from year to year, we don't know what kind of emphasis they put from year to year because it keeps changing. So you take that from the equation. Now it's just, okay, we're taking three at-large teams. It's just the three best teams, period. I feel like that takes some of the subjectivity away from the committee and allows them just to focus on who are the three best teams out there that didn't win their conference. So I, I think in that case, an eight-team model would be a better, more consistent approach. My issue is, and you hit the nail on the head, what do they do with the bowl games? Because as of right now, you've got six games, two of which are participating in the college football playoff semifinal. If you add four more teams, that's bumping those other four bowl games down a notch. And so now, if you take those eight teams and put them in the playoff, the other two bowls, or the other four bowls, I should say, that are not participating in the semifinal are getting teams that aren't as good unless they're going to be replaced in the bowls after the, the first round, which I don't think is going to happen. But that's the only way, uh, short of playing those first round games in those bowls, that's the only way of handling that. So that's where I think the trick comes in. How do they appease those other four bowl games that aren't participating in a given year? Yeah, it's going to be interesting as they do. I like how your breakdown was of it. I, I mean, I think I agree that it will, you know, eliminate some of the uh, discussion there with the committee. It's going to eliminate a lot of the um, extracurricular stuff. We have a set criteria and basically what it comes down to is like you said, I love this, you know, basically debating the top three teams that didn't win their conference. I mean, that's kind of, we're going to put the top three teams that didn't win their conference and that's all they have to discuss. I mean, it kind of, you know, the subjectivity, is eliminated to an extent. Now, moving forward here, if for, for all the listeners out there, the reason I wanted to get in touch with Kyle in the first place is because of something that I, I noticed at the beginning of the season, right before the season started. And for, for you guys who follow sports, you know I've posted about this before. It's the Urban Meyer situation. Now, right before the season started, we had this, this, this crazy um, happening that went on with Brett McMurphy posting – a report about coach Zach Smith and it, it trickled down to urban Meyer and how he was covering up for Zach Smith and, and yada, yada. Right. So there's this pretty big deal that happened. Uh, Zach Smith was then fired. And so Zach Smith was gone. He was released. And then, and then urban Meyer was then suspended. Sorry. So urban Meyer suspended. And there was this whole thing of whether he should keep his job or not. Well, when I was, you know, when this was going on, I was paying attention to a lot of the different social media feeds and Kyle's Twitter feed was the one I actually came across randomly by searching some hashtags and searching for Urban Meyer. And Kyle, this is one of the things that that struck me so I mean it was just crazy because I saw how social media can can have such a, a major like an impact for good and an impact for bad. Like we saw what happens when a story is released without any facts actually being put together and how it can damage someone's reputation. And that's why I felt so terrible for Urban Meyer. But like I thought the way that you approached the Brett McMurphy slash Urban Meyer situation was so unique. Um, and I, I kind of want to talk about, you know, 
what is your thoughts on and someone in, in Brett McMurphy's situation reporting what he thinks are facts before the facts actually come out and how that can have such a major impact with not only fans of the sport, but like a big figure like Urban Meyer? Like, how do you think that this social media and reporting goes into journalism and, and the goods and the bads? Well, you know, I think with Brett McMurphy specifically, the, the problem wasn't so much his intent. You know, there's nothing wrong with covering the, to- the story like he set out to do. And I think that was fine. It was a public interest story. Obviously, Ohio State is a you know, major institution. It was, you know, and we're talking about Urban Meyer, which is a big name. There was nothing wrong with, with Brett setting out to cover the story. I think where Brett gets a little hasty, and, and this could be said for a lot of journalists these days too, just looking for a name for themselves. And Brett McMurphy had an established name, so that's not his situation. I, I think he took the issue personally. When Urban Meyer on July 24th, I guess it was July, yeah, July 24th at the press conference in Chicago, you know, when he said, you know, who creates a story like that? I think he was, you know, I don't want to rehash the story itself, but I think in his mind, he was rehashing the part that Zach Smith had been arrested in 2015, which we later found out was not the case. And so in Urban's mind, he's responding to one aspect of a story that he thinks is made up. And, you know, that miscommunication caused, I think, some uh, hurt feelings on the on the part of Brett McMurphy thinking he's being called out, which I understand. But because of that, it just started a string of events. And I think Brett just kind of took it personally and latched onto the story and kept going with it. But I think the biggest issue is, you know, in most cases he was reporting facts, but you got to know when, you know, there are some things that just don't need to be put out in public. And I think that's a part of journalism ethics. And that's a, a young lesson I think journalists, you know, aspiring journalists can learn is not everything should be out there for public consumption. You've got to have some kind of, uh, you know, some kind of line drawn in your head where you got to say, you know what, these are facts, but they don't need to be reported. And FYI, I think sex toys, that's past that line. <laughs> I like it, man. I mean, I, I thought it was great the way that you, you, you know, approached the situation for another reason. It was, you were providing like every time, you uh, just let's just say this you did your research Kyle because every day it seemed like you know as the story kept coming out you know you kept reporting on certain things uh, and and trying to get the true you know statements out there and it wasn't necessarily like I just liked your approach to the to the story because it wasn't like you were just you know team urban all like and it was completely biased you were actually using facts to back it up which a lot of journalists we don't see you know that happening i don't understand what the problem is they're trying to you know fit their narrative they're they're setting their story they're they're trying to fit their narrative with their with their facts that they're putting out i just really appreciated the way that you you know approach such a touchy subject because uh, so many people ran with mcmurphy's story the second it popped out uh, and there wasn't anything there. So everything he said afterwards, there was just no winning after that. And we see that it, it was almost like watching a political battle, um, I guess, like a presidential campaign, uh, because if some negative story comes out, everything after that, then is you just can't win. It was a lose-lose for Urban. And I just thought you did a good way of kind of, like, you did a good job at, you know, buffering that, so to speak. I mean, I, I thought it was fantastic the way that you covered that whole situation. Um, and I thought you did it. You did it respectfully, and you gained a lot of fans. You gained a fan in me all the way from Boise, Idaho, my dude. So, <laughs> well, I appreciate that. It's a, it was a very obviously. Anytime you're talking about domestic violence or alleged domestic violence, it's it's a very touchy subject. And the the key for me in that situation was okay. I'm going to set aside whether or not domestic violence happened because that actually wasn't relevant 
to what was going on. And I think that's what people appreciated because, you know, there's a natural instinct for us all to rush to judgment when we hear something. I just wanted to say, hey, look, whether or not that happened, that wasn't Urban Meyer's issue. The, the issue was what did Urban Meyer do upon learning of allegations of domestic violence? That's all that mattered. And I think that was, was the key to just sticking to those relevant facts instead of trying to decide out of court whether or not Zach you know, abused Courtney because that wasn't relevant to Urban Meyer's your role in this case. I love that. So, and it was just a way that you like pulling those things apart and ha- that, that you did that. So I guess, I guess, uh, methodically it's like, boom, boom. And you, you did it in a way that like made so much sense. Whereas like certain people just couldn't figure that out. So I just liked how you took that and you split them apart and you realize like, here's what we need to be focusing on. Uh, not this specific issue. Uh, I thought it was fantastic, man. And I do have a question branching off of that, Kyle, in regards to urban Meyer, we, we know that he's retiring. You know, this is going to be his final game coming up here in the Rose bowl. Um, and as I was, you know, coming from my perspective, I actually used to despise him because as a Boise State guy, uh, he coached at Utah. They got the, the big bowl game back in the day. I thought it was dumb. And then he went to Florida and, you know, obviously they did their thing at Florida to our Buckeyes. And I always heard corruption stories over at Florida. And so I never really liked the man. And so when we, when we hired him, I was like, oh, great. Well, at least he'll be good for recruiting. And so I kind of, you know, obviously naturally had to, to kind of, just jump on the bandwagon and, and realize, you know, he's going to be a good coach and he is. And, and over the years, especially this year, I think with this Brett McMurphy story that broke out and the more I researched it and researched his entire history, people say he's such an awful person. I've seen people actually in the meet, like the mainstream media say he's a, an awful human being. And I guess it's crazy for me, but I think this Brett McMurphy thing actually showed me the exact opposite. I started to realize that in my head, I think that Urban Meyer is an amazing human being who gives people second chances and sometimes third chances, whether that be a, a coach or a player. Uh, we heard, you know, he did the same thing with Aaron Hernandez. Sometimes he gives them so many chances that it, it comes back to bite him, obviously. And I think that it shows that he has good traits as a human being. But I just kind of want to know your thoughts as you're there. Um, in Columbus, you're around this a little bit more than we are over here. What your thoughts are on Urban Meyer? Like, and is his whole career here with the Buckeyes? And was it good? Was it bad? Did he leave on bad terms? Or like, what what what's your thoughts on Urban? Well, you know, first, as far as speaking to his person, his personality. I mean, this is so true for sports fans in general. We all do it. We, you know, based on who coaches or who plays for teams that we like or dislike. It's very easy to conjure up this image of, you know, that guy's a bad guy. I don't like him. We can rationalize it any way we want to. So, you know, the fact that Urban Meyer became the villain this year, it's not surprising because Ohio State is, I mean, you talk to people at Nike or, you know, any other rankings that look at uh, just brand awareness. And Ohio State is number one in the country over any other brand in college, you know, sports. Right. It's just a fact. I mean, they, they are the preeminent brand. So it's very easy for Urban to become a villain. I mean, the truth is, look, you know, Urban, like everybody, has his flaws. He's not a perfect guy. Um, you know, he's very uh, – <laughs> I'm looking for a good euphemism here. He's, he's a very intense guy at his job, you know, and, and sometimes, you know, you can cross a line with that, with that intensity. But when it gets right down to it, when he gets home, he's a family guy. He's a Christian guy. He has morals. He has ethics. You know, I, I can say with 100% certainty, he's not a guy that would condone domestic violence. You know, if he truly thought that was happening, he wouldn't just sit idly by and allow it. And so I don't think that it was fair 
to, you know, for people to jump to the conclusions about him that they did. And so, yeah, I, I think he is a better guy than he was per- personified throughout all of this. Um, but like I said, that's, it's, that's a, it's not just an Ohio State thing or an Urban Meyer thing. That happens everywhere in sports. So we see it all the time. It's not really, you know, it's understandable. Um, now, as far as the second part of your question, you know, I think this is great timing for him because he's somebody that really did not like the way he was perceived when he went out from Florida. It really has, I think, gnawed at him the last seven years that people think he quit on Florida because of the status of the program as opposed to his health issues. So I think this is a good chance for him to go out on top, you know, winning you know, a 23-point win against your rival, winning the Big Ten championship, and then potentially going out to the Rose Bowl and then winning the Rose Bowl, a, a game he has not coached in before, uh, at least as a head coach. Right. So this is a good chance for him to go out on top with a one-loss season, a Big Ten championship, 7-0 record against Michigan, and Rose Bowl champs. So I think he can avoid what happened at Florida by going out and say, I left Ohio State on top or you know, pretty close to being on top, and I left the program in great hands for Ryan Day. So I think it's an ideal situation for him to go out now you know, at this moment. I totally agree. And my last question for you before uh, we start to wrap this up, Kyle, in, uh, you, you already said it, Ryan Day. I kind of want to know what your thoughts are on the, the future of the program, especially the immediate future as we you know, go into this next season. Uh, we don't know what the quarterback situation is going to be. Dwayne Haskins, we've got a new coach in Ryan Day. Do you think Ryan Day comes in and fills the shoes pretty easily? Is it a s- seamless transition there? Um, and do you think that Dwayne Haskins is staying? And where do you see the Buckeyes next season? Here's your, you know, your very, very early prediction into next year I think that Ryan Day will be a rock star and he has, he certainly has the personality uh the players absolutely love him uh I would even say as shocking as this is he's probably more of a player's coach than Urban Meyer is because Urban like I, I mentioned he, he is intense and you know sometimes that intensity can wear on you when it's overdone I think Ryan is the perfect balance of intense but laid back and will come to you and, and shows he cares and so I think that part of it will be a seamless transition. I actually think Ryan Day being head coach next year increases the chances of Dwayne Haskins coming back. And I'm not saying Dwayne Haskins will come back. If you put a gun to my head, I'm going to say Dwayne Haskins leaves for the NFL. But I don't think it's a foregone conclusion. And I think Ryan Day does increase the likelihood that he returns. But I think Ryan Day will be a great coach. I think the scheme is going to be great for him. I think the personality, I think players will love him. It just comes down to how does he do recruiting? Because Urban was a closer when it comes to recruits, and that's what Ryan Day has to prove. If he can recruit at that level, I don't think Ohio State's program is going to drop off one iota. But if he's not unable to recruit, that will determine you know, what Ohio State does going forward. Absolutely. I think he helped himself with those first three games um, in regards to recruiting. I think people know what he can do, how he's developed you know, players such as Haskins. I think they can see what he's done. So I, I don't think that we're going to take too much of a drop off with the recruiting process. And that's what I'm most excited about because Urban could recruit. But yeah, I think Ryan Day is going to come in there. I, I am extremely excited. Um, normally you wouldn't say that like losing a big time coach like Urban, but I feel pretty confident going into, you know, the, the near future, you know, the next season, the year after, I think we've got a a promising future with the Buckeyes still. I don't think it's going to be too much of a drop. Now, Kyle, I already mentioned we, we can find you on Twitter, but I want you to talk about, you know, where else can we find you? Where's your work? What can we do to, to get more of Kyle Lamb's, you know, journalism perspective uh, in our lives? 
Yeah, you obviously I'm on Twitter at KYLAM8. And if you uh, if you want to listen to the podcast, if you find yourself randomly wanting to hear some uh, Buckeye news, we talk Ohio State football and Ohio State basketball on what's called the Unscripted Ohio podcast. You can search and find us on iTunes, uh, Google Play, Stitcher, as well as uh, we host our podcast on SoundCloud. And we are uh, presented by BuckeyeGrove.com, which is a, an affiliate of the Rivals Network. So uh, you go to BuckeyeGrove.com. Uh, that's where I do some of my write-ups and, and summaries and analysis, and that's where the podcast is hosted. Uh, but like I said, you can find us on any of those other four mediums of choice as well. Awesome. I'll make sure I'm putting this this link here for everybody to see as well so that they can check it out. Uh, make sure you check out Kyle's work. He's awesome. Um, this is why I wanted him on my show. And, you know, it's it's exciting to have someone like like yourself join me, you know, all the way across the country. Uh, before we leave, can you give me a score prediction for the Rose Bowl, Kyle? Oh, good grief. Um, yeah, that's you caught me off guard on this one. Uh, I, I'm going to say, you know, Ohio State's a five-point favorite right now over Washington. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that Ohio State continues the success they've had under Haskins. I say they win by 10. I'm going to go 31-21. Okay, 31-21. I was actually picking this by 14. I think Coach Pete, just knowing him from my Boise State days, obviously, um, Coach Pete, he knows how to you know put teams together. If you, if you give him time to prepare for a game, he typically does pretty well. So I think he'll come prepared. But I think Bo- – or sorry, <laughs> Boise. I think Ohio State's going to be pretty revved up. They're going to let Urban go out on a high note. I think they win by double digits. I think it'll be 14 or more. Uh, but I just don't know what the final score is. I would, I would actually expect us to put up close to 40 points. So I'm not going to be surprised if we get 38. 40 points going into that one well you're not wrong if Boise State were playing in this game they'd be pretty revved up too (laughs) that is true right Uh, that's funny okay guys well I appreciate you know Kyle you joining me and I appreciate you guys tuning in like I said we're going to be doing something a little bit new this is an experiment doing a Facebook video uh, for you guys who wanted to watch the video footage of the podcast and hear it there Um, and we're also going to be pushing this out so you know where to find me iTunes Stitcher you know SoundCloud uh, Google Play Music, Google Podcast, CastBox, everywhere you can find a podcast, I'm there. Uh, make sure to check it out. Uh, subscribe and make sure to check out the link here for Kyle's podcast. Like I said before, we'll find you. You guys know the drill. Share it with your friends, and we'll talk to you next week. Guys, thanks so much for listening to another episode of my show. Now, if you could go and do me a favor, head over to iTunes, give me five stars, and leave me a review. It would be greatly appreciated. Thanks, guys. Appreciate your support.